This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. So in 1982, my uh, dad was in a VA hospital in Omaha, Nebraska. They had put him in the mental ward, which is what they would do back then if they couldn't figure out what else was wrong, they could put you there. Um, What we didn't know at the time was that he had been addicted to prescription pain medication long before that was something that was common. And so uh, what they did, which uh, because they didn't know what was happening, they took him off the medication and he literally, at one point, his heart stops he is coded, and they bring in like the, you know, checking. And my mom was there the day that happened, and it was obviously a terrifying experience for them. So the next day, this is three hours away from where I grew up, uh, my church sprung into action. And by my church, I mean Dwayne Covey. Dwayne was the chain-smoking, King James Bible study-leading ex-Marine Vietnam vet from our church. It's a whole other story. Uh, my pastor was a part of this journey, my mom, and they went to Omaha to get my dad. They didn't know where, what to do other than that it, this wasn't working here. And Dwayne, uh, the hospital said, oh, we can't let him go, sir. It's entirely too dangerous. And, and Dwayne said, look, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. The hard way is I'm going to kick down every door in this place until I find him and we're going to take him. The easy way is you just tell me what room it is and we can save ourselves a bunch of trouble. And uh, so they, they went ahead and went with the easy way. So in that moment, they, they loaded my dad up in a car. He was a shell of his former self. He weighed like 150 pounds. He was literally dying. They threw him in a car. They drove him down I-29 into Tulsa, Oklahoma to a hospital that was pretty new called the City of Faith. It was started by a guy named Oral Roberts. And the doctor there, within moments of interviewing my dad and looking at him, said, oh, the, 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 this is exactly what's happening. You're, you're hooked on painkiller. We've got to treat you in a whole different way. Within two months, my dad was back home and completely normal. And, yeah, thanks. He, it was just a real live moment of when I saw, when I was a kid, something that I didn't know, even understand at the time, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Nobody was coming for my dad, but my church did. And Dwayne, fortunately, did not have to kick down the doors or the gates of hell around, (laughs) but he was willing to. And in doing just that one simple thing all those years ago, I had this picture that I learned about what a church was supposed to be, and no one ever had to tell me because I saw it. And it was the church that Jesus imagined in Matthew 16. Remember, we talked about it last week when, you know, what is a church supposed to be? What are you supposed to do in a church? And if we're going to come here and sit, like, why are we doing this? And lots of questions about that. A lot of people going back, like, well, maybe we should go back to to, further back in time and and go back and be the Episcopalians or Anglicans and nothing wrong with any of those things. But the question that I've been asking is, Maybe that's not far enough back. Maybe we go back. What was Jesus' first idea of what a church was supposed to be? And we don't have to guess because he told us in Matthew 16, verse 18, the very first time the word church came out of Jesus' mouth 
was in verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the church that Jesus imagined, we talked about last week, was it a was it an Ezekiel church with lots of miracles in it? Was it a Jeremiah church with lots of uh, soul winning and weeping for the lost? Was it a John the Baptist church, which was activist and telling people to repent? Was it like one of the prophets church where it was very theologically sound and solid? W what church was it? And the answer was yes, all of it. Because if you're Jesus, you're going to have all of those things happening in your world. It's not pick one or the other. They all fall under the category of Jesus. So is conduit a Jeremiah church? Is conduit a Ezekiel church? Is it a John the Baptist? Or we, The answer is yes. <laughs> We're a Jesus church. And a Jesus church is one that is proactive, that is moving forward, not sitting back under a fortress that needs to be defended, but we are a force moving forward, kicking down gates of hell. And we have one, I, I actually I'm gonna do this right now, Eric and Sammy, I was planning on doing this at the end, but I'm feeling like now is the time. If you'd come up here, one of our door gate kickers is Eric, and you actually, if you know him, you actually, that's pretty apropos. Um, Eric leaves Tuesday morning for Iraq. And the beard's gonna work real nice for you there. Vacation. <laughs> um, when we brought Eric and Sammy here, when the Lord, I say we, like the Lord orchestrated this, and obviously you know he's been leading our 242 groups, uh, but Eric bleeds for mission. Like those slaves that you see of freed slaves on the wall, Eric has been to Asia. He has met those families. He has been there. And so the Lord has been on his heart to get to Iraq. And he's going to go spend some time with Grady and Becky Pickett. If you haven't been around our church for very long, you don't know that Grady and Becky are longtime friends. They serve in Erbil, Iraq. They've been there for 12 years. When ISIS came, they didn't leave. When ISIS came, they're like, no, God told us to stay. They, they stayed there with their four babies. And now they've got six babies, I think. Um, they're still there. So what, uh, Eric's going to be there starting Tuesday. Mm -hmm. What can we be praying for you for? What, what we need to pray for is that God reveals his mission for Conduit Church in Erbil, so in Iraq. Okay. That's what we need to pray for. I'll be safe. I don't feel like I'm going to die. I, I feel good. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've had the privilege of investing hundreds of thousands of dollars with Grady and Becky. We have paid to smuggle Bibles into Iran through the mountains. Turns out the same smugglers that take um, cigarettes and alcohol and um, there's, there's children, magazines, um, literature <laughs> into, they're the same smugglers. You could pay them uh, to take Bibles in. They actually charge extra because Bibles are more dangerous. If they get caught with a Bible, the penalty is worse than with, uh, than with the regular stuff. So that we've already been investing in that. So Eric's actually going to go there and spend some time with Grady and Becky and just seeking what our specific role can be besides just investing money in them. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to keep celebrating what we're doing. We're going to keep taking ground, amen? That's the point. That's why we're, we're on the move. We're on mission. This is what this sermon's about. We're going to keep taking ground. Yeah. Well, the easy places are taken. And we still need people willing to step into places like Iraq 
And at a time like this, especially if I think we're where we are in the eschatological timeline, what better place to be when Jesus' kingdom is coming than to be right in the middle of where the kingdom of darkness is the strongest. So would you guys extend your hands? I want to pray for Eric and for Sammy um, as they head out. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray the, the kind of prayers that Paul would pray, Lord, that Eric would communicate clearly your gospel that his eyes would be open to the mission that you have called. Lord, would you reveal to us exactly what it is, uh, how we could focus in there. We want to be a part of the harvest. Lord. We want to be a part. Muslims are giving their hearts to Jesus in numbers that are unprecedented throughout history. And we want a piece of that action in the kingdom of God. We want to see the darkness of Islam that is blinding, that is oppressing people to fall, the scales to fall from their eyes and for the gospel to become real and alive in their own hearts and minds. And God, would you be with Sammy as well? Lord, she's the sender here and you have a way, Lord, of just loving and protecting and guarding and I also know as a, someone who goes, Lord, that it seems like every time I go, something happens at the house that falls on Shannon's lap. And I ask, Lord, that as Eric heads out, that Sammy is protected, that whatever uh, stuff that pops up here, Lord, that you are already ahead of that and that you've already got it taken care of and that we as a church can surround her uh, and Lil as well as they are standing uh, and supporting daddy and husband as he heads into the harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. We'll get some updates when they get back. Yeah, put it back there. Um, I want to read Matthew 16 one more time. We'll be bringing back lots of updates on what's happening over there. I'm really excited to get to see what Jesus is doing. Matthew 16, verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray as we approach God's word. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom and insight here today? Uh, Your word is a lamp and it's a light. And I ask, Father, for those words that that you've written here for us to be alive for us today. And Lord, our brothers and sisters at West Harpeth Church, Hewitt Sawyers and Annie, Lord, would you be with them today and just show yourself real in their lives. For our friends down at the bridge with Ian Simpkins, Lord, there's such a move going on there that you're doing amazing things in that and the well with Chris and Holly Brown, Lord, in Columbia. Lord, you're doing amazing things all over Middle Tennessee, and we get to be just one part of that. And I am so grateful that you've allowed us to play that role. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the few minutes that we have, um, you guys, most of you are new here. Uh, By new, meaning we've doubled in just the last year, in fact, the last few months. So if you're looking around the room and thinking, I really don't know anybody, that's normal. (laughs) Nobody else does either. And so um, we have a chance to get to know each other, but I also, it's just fair, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit has been telling us to say that we want you to know what this church is, what God is doing here, like what this church has been called to do. There's lots of great churches, and God calls this church to do one thing and calls this church to do another. And I just think it's really fair for you to know, hey, this is, this is what Jesus is doing here. 
and for us, over these last few years, we've sort of summed it up into that Jesus called us to go and to make disciples. And I know this sounds cheesy and it sounds super Baptist, but discover, develop, and deploy, those three Ds are kind of what we frame everything we do here. It's about making disciples, right? Disciples, by the way, courses, entire conferences on what disciple making means. And yet Jesus sent his disciples out to make disciples without sending them to seminary. He sent them out to make disciples without a, without a curriculum. Uh, he sent them out without a commentary. He just sent them out saying, hey, do what, do what I do and do what I say. Which is what he meant when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, the student, right, you've heard this passage, is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus had three years with them, right? Many people in America have forgotten more about the Bible than these disciples knew when he sent them out, right? So you're sitting there waiting, kind of, when am I going to be qualified? When am I going to be? And Jesus, you know, just like a mama eagle, time now, time to go. And what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who, well, it's, here's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who doesn't says what Jesus doesn't says. And I'd love to make it more complicated than that, and I could. But Jesus didn't. And I sure don't want to put anything on you that Jesus didn't put on you. That's called legalism. A disciple of Jesus is someone who doesn't says what Jesus doesn't says. And so when he says, go into all the earth to make disciples, someone who doesn't says what Jesus doesn't says, he then said that he called this, this is church. My church is going to do this. And so what is the relationship of the church to discipleship? It's just that the church doesn't need a mission. It's that the mission needed a church. We have a mission as followers of Jesus, and the church is a vehicle, the vehicle through which he wants us to do that mission. And so you'll hear us use language that our calling is to uh, make disciples, and you'll hear us specifically use the sentence that it's to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. And that's all we're really saying is that when I go out there into the world, whether it's into my work, whether it's into my uh, daily routine, whether it's parenting my children, that I am literally just to be a conduit of Jesus to them. That's it. A conduit of Jesus is going to do what Jesus says and do, say what Jesus says. That's it. And so when we say that, that's the language that we use around here. You might hear it and it might be helpful just to know that's what we're talking about. And what that looks like first in the discover world is, the, so the world I was in uh, for many, many years, I don't think anybody ever said this to me explicitly, but I certainly took away from this, that the, the job of, of the pastor was to gather people around the pastor so the pastor could do the work of the ministry, right? The more people I have, the more ministry I can do. And that it ends up doing things like now I need a jet because I'm important enough that I need to be able to get to places because I'm the one that needs to do the work of the ministry. It's, it, that's not what this passage says. Paul says here, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13, he says, some gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and this is it, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. So I, of all the jobs I have, the main one is equipping you for works of service. King James, for the work of the ministry. My, my buddy Alex Matala in Uganda will say, how many ministries do you have in your church? How many people do you have? You have 400. You have 400 ministries in your church. Because 
we are all called to the ministry of reconciliation. And so if you've had some sort of a notion that uh, the work of the church, you come here so that I can do the work of the ministry, I would like to disabuse you of that notion and free you to say, oh, no, no, we're all in this. And by the way, that doesn't mean that I just sit here and run my mouth and then you guys go do the stuff. What it means is, I, well, I am running my mouth, but it also means that as I'm going, I'm going to invite you along the journey as well. It doesn't mean that I'm off the, uh, I'm not, I'm on the bench myself. I'm in the game as well and leading by example, but so are you and so are you. And so part of what I'm doing though along the way is then equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And it's really freeing, by the way. And, I, and I'll say this, I, this, is, this is not a thus saith the Lord, this is a thus saith the Darren. So take it for what it's worth. Much of what you have seen or will see from documentaries about churches and pastors that have fallen, especially more recently, I would, I would ask you to look at them with some empathy because what really happened was they took a notion on that they thought was the right notion, which is that I'm the guy that has to be, I have to deliver the goods. I'm the guy that I have to have something to say about everything. I'm the guy that is doing the work of the ministry. If I can't deliver the goods, the church doesn't grow. And if the church doesn't grow, we can't have a big ministry. No human being, nobody was meant to carry that weight and will buckle under it. And so I resist that and reject it at every point I can. I don't know everything. There are some things that you're going to ask me a question about, and you know what my answer is? I don't know. I'm not an expert on everything. But if I take that weight on, if you take that weight on, you'll buckle under the weight of it, which is what this design wasn't meant to put the weight on me or another pastor or evangelist or teacher, but the, it was to share the weight together with it. We weren't meant to carry that weight. So a disciple that is discovering what God has called in their life to do, my job is to sit alongside of you and help equip you for that role. And I would say this, if, if you're looking, if you've been around churches before, something that's distinctive about conduit is just that that we're preparing you to do the work of the ministry, not gathering you around me so that I can do the work of the ministry. We are all called. Uh, I'm a pastor, but sometimes you know what a pastor means? I maybe have been in the hospital a little bit longer than you have, so I know what foods to avoid in the cafeteria, and I know which nurses are nice and which ones aren't. But I'm, a, I'm look, I'm in the same hospital you're in and same, in need of the same great physician you're in need of. And so my job is not to lord over you. My job is to serve beside you. And that's a weight that I can carry because it's the one that Jesus, his load is easy, his burden is light. One of the joys that we get to do here, when I say discover, I'm gonna narrow it down to just these three things. Your gifting, Romans 12 verses five through seven, I covered that exhaustively in Romans. So we're not going to cover it again today. You're welcome to go back and listen to those again just from a couple months ago. The next one is your calling. So if your gifting is who you are, your calling, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. The gifts, right? And the callings. The calling is what are you called to do? Many times a calling is actually attached to what your skill is. I am not called to be a computer programmer. You know why I know that? I would rather claw my own eyes out with my bare hands 
than sit and look at a screen and, and try to code things, okay? Now, Darren Foster, on the other hand, seems to get ecstatic about such things. So his skill, oftentimes your skill or your talent is going to be attached to what your calling is. There's something that you have been, your, your talent, so, uh, you know, obviously Matt, you know, has a very amazing skill of singing and, and musician. And so clearly there could be a calling attached to his music. Now, whether that's leading worship here on a Sunday, or whether that's leading worship in Honduras, right? Uh, Sometimes we, we lose our calling because we, we are actually putting an American idea of what the calling is. Whenever I had, talk to young musicians who have this vision of thousands of people standing in front of them, I'm like, I can make that happen next week. Come to Uganda with me, right? And they're like, oh, no, 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 that, I didn't have that vision. That, the vision wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the vision at all. But sometimes we, re, we reject our calling because we have this idea of what the calling was supposed to look at and look like, which brings me to the third one, which is your assignment. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 is this amazing passage where Paul says, uh, you write it down, go there later. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer, disciple, right? In whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. So, okay, right, we're gifting and calling. Here's what he's called you. What situation do you find yourself in? right? Because your situation is probably your assignment. Uh, we had that happen here in our, uh, in our family. This is Hannah Fratt on the, uh, my left, your right. Hannah, mom of two. Hannah found herself in a situation that many of us found ourselves in about two and a half years ago, which was the world lost its mind collectively. We shut down schools. We said kids need to stay home. We're putting them alone in their bedrooms. And she's like, I'm, she had this heart. And I, I promise you, she did not sit around as a young girl dreaming of one day starting a homeschool tutorial. But what she saw in her situation was an assignment, which is, I want to love on my kids. So then she invited some of her neighbor kids and friends' kids over. And it started with like nine kids that first year, I think. And then it grew to 30. And now... So in fact, let me phrase that, grew to 30 and they're meeting in our, our, the halls of our church now because they, apparently they didn't have room for 30 kids. Uh, they don't live in College Grove. Um, they'd have room for 30 kids in their, in their house. So they moved it to the church and now the church, they've got 30 kids and by this time next year, there'll be 60 kids. And all Hannah did was look at her situation, right? And here's her assignment, that she is, I don't, I don't know her gift. I don't want to prepare, like, pretend I know her gift, but I would suspect her gift is somewhere in the protecting and the guarding of, a, of kids. And so she literally deployed that gift and did a calling. And, and she is very, very skilled at teaching and explaining and then used the assignment. And now multiple moms and children in our little area have been blessed because all she did was a phrase that we have used for years that came from my friend Russ Rankin 12 years ago. We just keep our yes on the table. Yes, yes, Lord, I will follow you into this. Now, another family that just said yes to this, and I want to show you this because you guys last week, remember when we prayed for Caleb and Cindy? Remember that, Sydney? I said Cindy. Sydney. Sydney? Sydney? I, I, let me show you what happened this week. So, um, I'm not I'm kind of just kind of wanted to pray for you, send you off again, just as staff, we know that we're here, we love you, we want to serve you. Um, keep us up to date. Absolutely. And um, I know I told you that uh, I thought we had about 7,000, and I was wrong, and I'm really sorry. Um, uh, I feel kind of bad about that. 
because the amount is actually twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> Look, it's like being Oprah. What am I job? My job is like the easiest. You know, you get a mission trip and you get a mission trip. No. Um, $20,000 that we sent them out with last week for them. So they can, they leave for Zambia on Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're going to leave financially. We want them secure. So they're able to go and do what God has called to do uh, in Zambia. They, and here's the thing. They knew their calling, right? They knew their assignment and they knew their gifting. And so for us, what we got to do in that situation was part of what it means to develop, which was to equip. So equip, does it mean uh, teaching the word? Absolutely. Does it mean, that's why we teach the word here, right? We teach the word here. But it also means like provision. So what they had, what they needed was some finances. And so we equipped them, right? If you're going to go on a hike in the, the Cascade Mountains, you need to be equipped for that job. And sometimes what you just need is some provision. So we as a church family equipped them to do that role. Hannah didn't need, Hannah's a PK, right? Pastor's kid. And somehow she survived. So it gives me hope actually, um, I mean, honestly, Satan has a soft spot in his heart for pastor's kids. So pray for pastor's kids. She's been in the Bible her whole life. She knows the gospel. She knew her assignment. She knew her calling. She knew. So what we got to do is give her our building, which equipped her to do the work of the ministry. Does this make sense, what it means to discover and to develop? Because what develop, when we go to that, Jesus says, to the Jews who had believed him, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When it comes to developing you and me, Knowing what Jesus, if we're going to know what Jesus said and did, we better know what Jesus said and did. How do I live like Jesus? How do I say what Jesus said if I don't have any way to know that? In the back right now, in the big room with your kids, especially if they're K through five, Joey is there right now teaching them that what this means to be a disciple is to hear, obey, to live, and declare. If you hold to my teachings, right? You're my disciples. Hear, obey, live, declare. That's happening every Sunday with your children and with your teenagers. Different versions. I mean, this morning, our middle school deeper, they talked about, did we talk about Islam this morning? We are teaching them the words of Jesus and comparing that against the words of other religions. Hold, obey, live, declare. Which means, by the way, that one of the things that you're going to hear from us a lot is that the Bible is authoritative that it is accurate, that it is trustworthy, and that it is the final word on what God has to say in the earth. Right. Now, I wish this didn't have to be a distinctive of a church, but I'll tell you that that is a distinctive of us. Amen. I mean, when I say what I will, thanks. 
And what I mean when I say that I wish I didn't have to be a distinctive, what I mean is I wish that I didn't have to say that was a distinctive because I would think it's a foregone conclusion. It just turns out in the world that we find ourselves in right now, that's not entirely the way the world is right now. Many, many churches are, many of them, but not every church. And so we want you to know that we view this as authoritative. And here's why this is important to us. If you say that you, like, I want to do and say what Jesus did and said, but I can't trust the only record I have of what Jesus did and said, that's an intellectually untenable idea. I respect atheists more than I respect that. That's like, yeah, I just don't have quite enough courage to be an atheist. And if it's you this morning and you've struggled with this text and you say you follow Jesus and I'm, you might have feel even like a little insulted that I would say what I just said, think with me on this at least. You say you love Jesus, but you don't love the Bible. Jesus quoted the Bible hundreds of times. Every other word was, it is written. You've heard it said, it is written, it is written. He knew the Torah, what we would call the Old Testament, inside and out. He viewed it as authoritative. He viewed it as inerrant, and he viewed it as his word for us. And now this New Testament that came, which is the gospel of Jesus, it's not an interruption of the Old Testament. It's a completion of it. So we view this as authoritative. So on any given Sunday, when you're at a conduit church, we're going to be using this as our plumb line. When we're trying to figure out whether something is level or not, this is what we're going to go, and we're going to look at this. And when Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, he's talking about the truth. And the fact of the matter is, is we're in a world right now that is not valuing the truth at all. A boy cannot be a girl. A boy... A boy cannot menstruate. A boy can't give birth. That's scientific, by the way. It's biological. It's physiological. And the Bible never disagrees with physiology, biology, because physiology and biology were created by the guy that wrote the Bible. So when we say the truth, what's important right now is in this world is we have to know that if we're going to hold back and not speak truth, with the hopes that we don't offend anybody so that we can reach them, understand that doesn't work. There's been stories this week about an actor named Chris Pratt and the hatred, and they're trying to get him fired from Guardians of the Galaxies. And you know why? Not because he said anything, not because he's taken a stance one way or the other, but because he hasn't, and so the assumption is that because he hasn't, that he must be anti, and because he's anti, he still has to be canceled. And my point is, is whether you say something or you don't say something, either one is not good enough. So you might as well live in a world of truth. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is the truth. The truth and love, the truth and freedom are not divorced of each other. If you have all the freedom in the world, but you're living a lie? Is that really freedom? That's why this is important, the truth. We've lived in a society that for the last few decades have really decided that a Sunday gathering is supposed to be about reaching the lost. And maybe you've thought this morning, why doesn't he ever do altar calls on a Sunday? 
Or you've thought, man, why don't we ever you know, do altar time? Or Churches throughout this, the last few decades, and I'm speaking in generalities, had the idea that if we could um, soften the message and not offend anybody, we could reach more people. And so Sundays became about what they call an attractional church. We're going to attract people in, but then when you don't say anything that's true, or you, let me phrase that, when you withhold things that are true, you're saying things that are true, but you're withholding things that are true. What we've ended up with was a generation of young people who are biblically illiterate, and it's not their fault. They sat in Sunday services without a Bible teaching because they were trying to reach the lost, and then they didn't reach either. So for us, no judgment on them at all. I just know that we've learned some things, and that for us, that our Sunday gatherings, we're going to hear the Word of God taught and declared, and the other thing you're going to hear us do here is we're going to spur you, we're going to encourage you, we're going to double-dog dare you to do good, to be Jesus. Hebrews 10.25, I was bloodied with that passage my whole entire youth, right? We had Wednesday night church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, men's Bible study, prayer night on Monday, Thursday was the women's thing, Friday. Suddenly we're at church six days a week, and if you weren't there, then Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, or some, you know, we're going to do. So literally I was beaten with that passage over the years, but no one ever read 10.24, and I remember thinking, I mean, you know, Don, listen, like you're here, like I remember, we've talked about this, asking the question, like, hey, so we got here, and we're just sitting here, why are we here again? Like, it seemed like Jesus went to a whole lot of trouble being crucified and whatnot, resurrected just to go to church. And the realization that, again, this is not a fortress to be protected, this is a force to be deployed, that our Sunday gatherings, at least for us, what God has called us to do, on any given Sunday you're going to be here, our hope is that you are inspired to get out here and walk out that door and do good and love your neighbors, your, wherever your assignment ends up being. Our hope is that this can be a part of that, that is that you're challenged with the word of God, that you're also inspired to follow Jesus where he is leading you to go. So a distinctive of conduit is just that. The main emphasis on our gathering is going to be to inspire each other to follow Jesus. This inspires you to follow Jesus when we worship we're inspiring you to follow Jesus. When I tell you what happened with Hannah, Hannah's just a, a normal person like me, a normal person like you, that you might think, man, okay, I see that. What, can, what has God got me to do? And by the way, a lot of times we get really paralyzed because we think I gotta go start this new nonprofit. I gotta start this new organization. Where do I get the paperwork? And maybe, I don't know, maybe the world doesn't need another nonprofit. Maybe what the world needs is just a bunch of Jesus people saying yes to the opportunities that are right in front of them and just see where it goes. I know this, that those of you that say yes here on, a, on any given Sunday, on any given Sunday when you've said yes to follow Jesus and you are leading in our church family on a Sunday, something amazing is happening here. And that is things are being deployed Remember, discover, develop, deploy. When I say things, what I actually mean is people are being deployed. And deployed means I've got this excitement, I've got this gift, I've got this. And, and, but, but look at what Paul says here. I'm sorry, Luke says this. Luke is writing this, and he says, it's Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16. Get the right apostles in the right order. 
Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 12. We're not going to read all of this, but I want you to notice something really interesting. In the first few verses here, and by the way, the verses leading up to this in the chapters before, Luke uses the word they. Verse 7, when they came to the border, right? Verse 8, so they passed down to Troas. Uh, Paul has a vision. And then in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. What happened to Luke between verse 8 and verse 10? He got in the boat. This was no longer they, it was we. He didn't invite him to church, he invited him on the mission. And Luke starts saying we, and we went here, and then we did that. And when you're looking, as far as conduit goes, am I a member of conduit church? As soon as you start saying we instead of they, you're a member. I mean, I could get you a certificate suitable for framing if you want one. But I'm not inviting you to my church. I'm just saying, this is Jesus' church. Jesus has a force that he's looking to deploy, and I'm inviting you to find a place in that mission. And you might think, I, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not called to go to Iraq. Good. You don't have to be. If, if, we're a, if we're a force being deployed, like a naval force, whatever, there are multiple jobs, multiple things happening in multiple places, but it's all the same mission. You see, you don't know this, but sitting in the back is Mark, and Mark has been running this video for the last two services. I think Jim Cook's back there. Jim had, Jim had an impossible job when we came in this room for our video. I was like, Jim, I want this to look expensive. It costs a lot to look this cheap. You know what I'm saying? So it's a Dolly Parton quote. But we need it to look good, but I want it to cost a lot. But Jim pulled that off. Mark makes me look good. We need to figure out how to get the, you know what I mean, a little bit. But we'll work on that. But every Sunday, people are tuning in now in Washington State, Denver, Colorado. I got a letter this morning. And look at this one. This is from a young girl named... Sierra. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Sierra. Oh, sorry. Here's the thing. This young girl, <laughs> her daddy and their family tune in every Sunday. And she saw what was happening. The teenage daughter saw what was happening with freeing slave families. And she went to her friends. And instead of selling them Girl Scout cookies, she talked them out of money to set slaves free. And so this morning, this is, this is actually three different donations she sent. It was actually for a total of $1,000 to set two slaves free and to uh, invest in the schools that are happening in the brick kilns from a teenager in North Carolina. And if Mark wasn't back there doing that on a Sunday, this wouldn't have happened. Mark played a role that makes this happen. Everybody from the parking lot to the welcome to uh, taking care of babies, we're all part of this mission together. You thought you were just wiping a butt, but you weren't. You were wiping the kingdom of darkness out of slavery. To write that down, that's pretty good. <laughs> Man, the distinctive of conduit is this. I don't care if you join my church, because it's not my church. There is nothing to join. We're Jesus people working together. And I trust that you can hear the Holy Spirit. 
and maybe there's an assignment that you have here and we would love for you to be a part of it on any given Sunday. We need people to help this happen. What happened with the chapels to walk out with $20,000 last week? Somebody waved them into a parking lot last week and got them in here. That, and you know who that is, by the way? Jim Henderson. Jim Henderson is an elder at this church. Jim Henderson helped start this church. He was a guy that taught our kids in the early days, and then he taught our youth, and then he saw the time came when we, he needed to step back because we had more kids and he had a job so he needed to step back so that Joel and Michaela could step in and do what's happening in our youth ministry right now. And you know what Jim does now? The parking lot. Is that a step down in the kingdom of God? No. This is the situation we were in, and that was the assignment that he took. And every Sunday when he stands out there waving cars in with you and me or whoever's out there, it's not a less than job in the kingdom of God. It's an equal than job in the kingdom of God because part of what the Bible promises, the whole promise of Scripture, is that our eternal rewards that await us, that the same rewards that the chapels are going to get in Zambia, those who send them get the same reward as those who are sent. If you offer a even a cup of water to a prophet in my name, you will receive the same reward. It is the heartbeat of God. There are no bench warmers in the kingdoms. There is no greater than or less than roles. We are all called to serve the kingdom of God. And I'm not inviting you to join my church. I'm inviting you to answer the question of whether you're a goer or you're a sender. You can be a goer, you can be a sender, you can be both, you can be either, but you cannot be neither. Not in the kingdom of God. There are... That doesn't mean you have to write a check. It doesn't mean you have to pack the bags. Everything that's happening here. I mean, the, the work that Carol and Bob do here on a, I mean, you talk about a thankless job in this operation. My wife has this vision for this amazing this design and sticks and it looks, doesn't look beautiful out there, right? Well, guess who had to put all those sticks on the wall? That's Carol. Now, when you walk in and you feel loved and you feel like the heart and all that, somebody had to do that stuff. When someone walked in here and they feel loved and they feel seen and they feel at home, that is just as much a part of the job as headed to Uganda to drill wells yourself because it's all part of the troop carrier that's delivering troops to the kingdom of God. And so what I would say to you is this. If you've got a ministry of your own that God has called you to, absolutely go for it because what we know and we believe here is that our ministries do not compete each other. We complete each other. Rhonda Wicks, Shelton, you are not my competition. I don't care if people give money to you and not to us. Why would I care? Because it's the kingdom of God. We're all on the same team. I can trust that you can hear the Holy Spirit just like I can hear the Holy Spirit. And here's what I know, and I've got 12 years of anecdotal evidence. There are people that God gives a heart to help fund the local operations of the church. Joel and Michaela have kids and they need to eat like more than once a day, right? So we want to be able to pay them and to honor them. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And God gives people a heart for that. And then sometimes God gives people a heart for clean water in Africa. What business is it of mine to tell them to change the heart that God gave them? No, my job isn't to do that. My job is to be on the treasure hunt. You got a heart for Bible school in Haiti? Awesome. We got one of those. You got a heart for setting slaves free in Asia? Perfect. We got that. You got a heart for helping children in special needs kids in Honduras? Rhonda has that. 
We're all on the same team in the kingdom of God. So I don't hold on tightly to it because it wasn't mine to hold on to begin with. And all that's going to do is exhaust me and burn me out. And the last thing you need is another burned out, burned down ministry in this community or in the kingdom of God. A conduit church isn't the name of our church. It's a description of it. You and I are called to be conduits of Jesus to the community in front of us and to the world around us. And I will end with this. Everything we do, whether it's orphan ministry, whether it's place of hope, whether it's Iraq, it has to start with a relationship with Christ first. In Acts 2.42, what do we call our small groups? 2.42 groups. Because they were devoted to those four things. Prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, teaching. Did they do feeding the poor? Yeah, verses 43, 44, 45, 46. Did they pray for the sick? Absolutely. But they weren't devoted to those things. They were devoted to 2.42. And out of that, out of those relationships with each other and with Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, somewhere around verse 12, Paul was talking to that church and said, they, they gave themselves first to Christ and then they gave themselves to the ministry. Do not go out this door and give yourself to a ministry without giving yourself to Christ and let the ministry grow out of your relationship with Christ. Don't let your relationship with Christ grow out of your ministry. It is a recipe for a burnout. Jesus didn't heal everybody he walked by. There were times where Jesus went home that day. No more miracles there. He went to the pool of Siloam. There was only one miracle that day. Then Jesus withdrew to rest. If Jesus needed to do those things, if he needed to take time to stay and to listen to the Father, don't you think we do? There's a lot of freedom in knowing that I'm only going to do and say what Jesus tells me to do and say. And if I can do it out of the relationship with him and not out of just a desire to do something good, then I can accomplish way more that way because I'm doing what Jesus has called me to do. Stand to your feet. I've got to get you out of here. Look, some of you might have just listened to everything I just said and thought, you know what? This is not the church for me. And honestly, there's no hard feelings. One of the beautiful things about conduit is when someone, God moves someone on or whatever, like it's not weird when I see you at Walmart. Don't be weird because it's not weird. God has assignments for people at churches all the time. It just happens. So this might not be for you and that's totally fine. But if it is for you, I'm excited. God has always done something in this church and that is that our imprint has never been the same as our impact. Our impact far, far exceeds our imprint. When we were just a church of 180 people, we were like, I don't know how all this is happening. And we're seeing it again right now that our impact is just multiplying. So I hope that we get to see some more of that. And I hope that you find a place here where God can like assign you to what you need or if you've got something that we could help you with. So Heavenly Father, I know I just fire hosed them. <laughs> but I pray that the water they got was the water they needed. And the rest of it that went by, they just didn't need on this day. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the church, choosing us to be a part of your church. Lord, for not making me, even asking me, not even insinuating that I am going to carry this alone. We all carry this together in the kingdom of God. We're so grateful for you. You're so good and you love us so much. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.
Go out and just look for the assignment Jesus has in front of you this week.